This is Chicago's College Tailgate. Tailgate. Shane Norman and Tyler Atkins. Shane and Tyler on ESPN Chicago. Welcome on in to a special Chicago's College Tailgate College Football Playoff Preview Show right here on WMVP AM Chicago and WSHEHD2 Chicago. Tyler Rocky, Shay Norling. It's all brought to you by our friends over at Twin Peaks. Shay is out down in the beautiful SEC city of Nashville, Tennessee. What are you doing? Some canvassing down there? You trying to, to scout out a a little trip for us down there for some SEC road tripping <laughs> next year? What are you doing down there, huh? Uh, I'm going to the Music City Bowl later. Are I you check actually? Out no, no, of course not. <laughs> I, are you out of your mind? I, you would. You would go no, to the Music City Bowl. No. Both you and bowl I know season, you would. No, bowl season's a joke. I, I was in Nashville last year when Iowa was in the Music City Bowl, and the tickets were like three bucks. Oof. And I did, I considered, I was like, maybe I'll go. And then like actually thought more deeply about it and was like, no, no reason. Then you were no actually shot. faced with the decision of, should I go? And it made the decision a lot easier for you. Yeah. Uh, it, it just this idea of the bowl games, Tyler, I'm good. I don't need to go to any of them at this point. Maybe yeah. the semifinals, but the, the, the bowls themselves. No, I'm good. A real quick question on the semifinals. Do you kind of wish that they did the semifinals in a like an NCAA Final Four fashion where you got both games in the same location? Um, n- boy, I don't think so. I, like, I like the like, end zones yeah, I having the team names in, in them. Yeah, I don't think I could do eight hours of football. I don't think you could do the, the session like the like college basketball does where you get like a slab of games that one ticket's good for all two three games or like the big 10 tournament or something like that. I don't think you could do that with football because these games are long, man. <laughs> like well that like they're going to be three and a half hour games and you're going to put four fan bases in for each of them and sell them sets. True. Not, like it just wouldn't work. It's not a basketball type of thing. Like you have to kind of do this individually. And I like I. This is the dumbest thing, but I really do like the names of each school in the end zone. I'm with in the you semi-final. on that. Yeah, I, I think that is important and a good touch to have on on these games here. But all right, let's get into some of these games. Well, you've got a solution to fix the bowl season. I think it's unfixable at this point, but you've got a solution. So we'll do that a little bit later. I shouldn't say fix, but I can make it better. I can <laughs> you, okay, make it you quite can, a bit better. You can slightly improve it. Um, and we're also going to get into some quarterback prospects for the upcoming NFL draft and also just some players you should be watching throughout the playoff for the NFL draft, especially for our Chicago Bears, who have two picks in the first round, right now situating at top 10. So there's some interesting names that'll be playing in the playoff and ultimately in the college football championship as well. But let's start with. The matchup that is most intriguing to me. I don't think it's the most fun matchup of the two we have, but it's certainly the most intriguing, and that is Alabama and Michigan. The game currently sits at a one and a half point spread in favor of Michigan at the moment. And these are two teams that, I mean, Michigan just kind of slept through their first 10 games of the season and then turned it on with three games to go and really put together some impressive stuff. And then on the other side, 
you have a Bama team who slept through the first, what, five games on their slate. It hurt them, obviously, with the loss against Texas earlier in the season. But they really woke up and looked like one of the best teams in all of the sport as we got down the stretch into the SEC championship, ultimately beating Georgia, and they find themselves in the playoff. Now, I'm not going to sit here. We're not arguing about Florida State today, all right? I'm, I'm putting one rule down today, Shay. We're not arguing about Florida State today. Because, yeah, I don't want it, to. quite frankly, it doesn't matter at this point. We're at where we're at, and we've got two great games. Even though both you and I both believe that Florida State should be in this playoff just on what they did this season, we're not talking about it anymore. But this Bama team, what they did down the stretch, they beat the team that was number one in the country in Georgia in the SEC title game, and they look like a completely different team from what we saw out of them the first three to five weeks of the season. Yeah, that, I'm going to actually, before I mention what I want to say about Alabama, we have to lay another ground rule down. You laid down no Florida State talk. I'm laying the ground rule of no mention beyond this of sign stealing yeah. or of the reports over the weekend about Michigan trying to jack film from <laughs> Alabama. Yeah. I don't care. We are talking football. Whatever happens in the the cheating scandals at Michigan, we'll address it at a later date. Like right now, I just want to talk football. And on the Alabama side, like you mentioned, sleepwalking, dude, I think they just sucked. Like, the first six weeks of the season, I just I don't think they knew who they were. And Nick Saban had to make a decision that we're going to be a run-first football team. We're going to give Milrow 10 to 12 rushes a game, if not more. Like, this is just the identity we have to live by if we're going to win games. They fixed up the offensive line. Like, it got a little bit better as things went on. It was terrible to start the year when they were trying to be more vertical. And now I just feel like, they figured out who they are, and they started playing pretty good ball. Like, offensively, it's still Milrow can hurt you with his legs and a deep ball and nothing else. But they figured out how to make that work for them. Right. And and using his legs has been the biggest factor because this team doesn't have the vertical threats out wide. This team doesn't have the All-American running back in the backfield. There's no Najee Harris back there. There's no Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith split out wide. But they have found a way to make it work, and it's because they have something that they really haven't had in recent years, and that is a mobile quarterback. And Jalen Milrow, it's something he didn't utilize a lot at the beginning of the season. And then all of a sudden, the switch flipped at about that Mississippi State game. He goes out, runs for 69 yards, and that game also rushes for two touchdowns. And, I mean, we've seen some stellar performances on the ground from him, too. He had a four-touchdown rushing game against LSU, ran for another three against Kentucky, also threw for three against Kentucky, too. That, that Kentucky game... Both you and I thought that is a trap type of spot for Alabama going on yep. the road. 11 a.m. start after you're going to be in a track meet against LSU the week before. And they came out and beat the brakes off of that Kentucky team, who was a solid team. And it, a, a lot of it came down to Jalen Milrow making plays with his arm, making plays with his leg. And if you look at his last four games or five games, really, that he's played, I mean, it has been stellar through the air. It's been stellar on the ground. He's got seven rushing touchdowns during that span. He's got ten passing touchdowns. Has only put the ball. Uh, he's only turned the ball over once with one interception. And that's the other big thing with Milrow and this Alabama team is they are not turning the ball over like they were at the beginning of the year. Like yeah. Milrow's got six picks on the season. Three of them came in the first three weeks of the season. He's thrown three cents, and this competition has only gotten better since then. 
as a composite. So you look at what he's done. He's really revitalized their season, and I know he's not going to win any sort of Heisman or anything like that. But, Tyler, he would have. Like, if yes, he had played like, <laughs> this well at the start of the year and the USF game doesn't happen, right? he would have won the Heisman. He got like benched that, for that's that how USF game. Like, it's it's crazy what, what's going on with his season here. But he has complete. he's been the most important player on this team, no doubt about it. And this is a team where Jalen Milrow is not the most talented player on this team. I mean, even though the talent is down on this Bama team, they're still good players. They're still first-round players on this Bama team. But it's just not like we've seen in the past. And for Milrow to be that X factor, like quarterbacks usually aren't X factors for teams. It's, oh, can you get production out of a receiver? What about this cornerback? What about this edge rusher? But for him to be that X factor for the team, when he plays well, they're just a completely different football team. Yeah, I just what's funny about this game, too, is I I feel like it's a throw out the data game. Like if you want to try and use the data to break down what's going to happen between Michigan and Alabama, I I don't think you can do it because you have to factor in what we've talked about with Bama for the last 10 minutes of the show is the first six weeks. Garbage juice. Yeah. Toss it. Like, you have to look at what happened since basically mid-October, and that's how you're evaluating Alabama. And when you look at Michigan, like, dude, they built their schedule. They played dead people until Mm -hmm. the final three weeks of the year. Like, it was Michigan versus kids in wheelchairs. So if you want to look at stats that, like, well, they give up 10 points a game or whatever. Well, yeah, because they played nobody for eight weeks and then really, like, you start to look at who was Michigan against Ohio State, who was Michigan against Penn State in that Maryland game. You know what? You go, who was Michigan against Iowa, too? I know it looks pretty because it was a 26 nothing shutout, but... It was their... Tyler, it was their worst yes. offensive performance they, since 2020 when they went 2-4 and four in the COVID season. Yes. 1.9 yards per attempt rushing in that game. Their touchdown drives were drives of 5 and 6 yards. Their field goal drives... They had a 52-yarder. All right, solid drive. Their other field goal drives, 28, negative 3, and 23. They didn't move that ball against Iowa. They found ways to get turnovers and credit to them for that. I think their defense deserves a lot of credit, but this offense isn't all that. And that could be a big-time problem against Alabama because Alabama's a team now who it feels like is going to get 24 to 28 points pretty automatically. Can Michigan get that? when they're not going to be given these five, six-yard fields to work with. Well, it's what we talked about when Michigan played Penn State, too, right? Like, everybody was enamored with the running game. They ran it 32 straight times. And, like, I kept saying, it didn't result in 40 points for you. You didn't score a bunch in that game. Like, what was it, 24 points? Great. You ran the ball a million times. Do you know why you did that? Because if you dropped back, you could not block Chop Robinson. Mm -hmm. You could not stop their pass rush, and J.J. would have been dead. So he threw eight passes, and you handed the ball off. Tyler, I feel like this is a redo of that game against a team that can actually score. And that might be the problem for Michigan is, like, Dallas Turner off the edge, and the other guy, name escapes me right now, for Alabama. And they've got run stuffers, too. Right. And Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards have not been what they were last season. Like, Blake Corum, his rushing numbers are down a yard per attempt from a season ago. Donovan Edwards, he went from 7.1 to 3.5 on the season. 
you factor in they lost Zach Zinter, their starting yes. guard. Now they have an offensive line that's piecemeal, and that's part of why 1.9 yards per carry. Like, how are you averaging a full yard less per carry against Iowa than Michigan State did? Like, really think about that. How bad of an offensive performance do you have to have? And I don't want to, like, weigh it too heavily because I said before the Iowa game, this is one where I think Michigan just goes in and doesn't really give a F. Like, they just want to survive and get out and not show a lot, worry about the playoff. But it does bother me a little bit watching them. And, and like, if you go back and watch that game, their offensive line is just yeah. – Bad. They get Just straight up bad. And listen, I don't care about it as much from a, oh, let's protect J.J. McCarthy sense, because I don't think that's ultimately going to be what determines this game. This game's going to be going to throw 10 passes. Right, exactly. And I think that if you're Michigan, you have to avoid three and outs because you're going to wear your own defense out. And against this Bama team, that's going to hit you with a running quarterback. They've got a solid running back as well. Um they just have good enough offensive pieces where if they if that defense is faced with three and out, three and out, three and out, and then they have to get back on the field right away because you can't run the football against Alabama, then you're going to find yourself in a lot of trouble if you're this Michigan team. And that's where I think Alabama ultimately exploits them is that their defense is going to be cut out for the test because I don't think you're going to see Michigan run the ball very well against them. I think one thing that this Michigan team is going to have to do is kind of take a page out of Alabama's playbook. I would run J.J. McCarthy a little bit in this game. He's got the mobility to do it, and I think that would be the sort of unforeseen like sucker punch that Jim Harbaugh and the offense could deliver to this Alabama team of something you haven't put a ton of on film this year, but you unveil it during the playoff. Well, I think, too, like Alabama doesn't cover the slot well. They have really, really good corners. Like I've said Kool-Aid McKinstry is not super impressive to me, but he covers well on college receivers. The rub on that for Bama would be Michigan doesn't use their perimeter receivers at all. They yeah, play like Rowan Wilson in the slot. They got the two tight ends. They'll go heavy, big bodies, and try to get things done in the flat and over the slot. That's where Bama's really vulnerable. Roman Wilson is good, but the drop-off from him to whoever's number two at the receiver position is significant. And there's, yeah, there's not threats there. Now, this game could come down to, all right, you get one drive apiece, Jalen Milrow, J.J. McCarthy, who's going to go out and win it for you? And right now, like we just don't know who J.J. McCarthy is as a quarterback. For all we know, he may be the best and most talented passer in all of college football. All right. We just haven't seen it yet. <laughs> we, like, he has not been given the ability to go out and perform like that. For all we know, he could be the worst passer in all of college football. We just haven't seen him be given an opportunity to do either one of those things this year. That's what's so funny, too, is like then you read the NFL scouts that are basically having wet dreams about J.J. McCarthy. And I'm like, how can you possibly be evaluating this guy as such a high-level pro talent? He throws 15 passes a game. How do you have any idea what he is? Right. The the sample size is not there with him. So it's going to be an interesting one. I I think this game is going to be a very... We're looking at polar opposite games. Let's get into the other game next, yeah. Texas and Washington. Um, because Rock that, fight versus light show. Oh, boy. I can, I, this is the most excited I've been 
for a college football game in quite some time. Like we had excitement around some of the ga- like the game Michigan Ohio State this year, uh, Washington and Oregon part one and part two. There was excitement around it, but I th- there's like a different buzz and intrigue for the for this game, this Texas Washington game. We'll dive into all that when we come back here at Chicago's College Tailgate, talking college football and the playoff with you on ESPN One Thousand. Chicago's College Tailgate returns in a flash on ESPN Chicago. Now back to the show. Chicago's College Tailgate has it all with Shay and Tyler on ESPN Chicago. Shay, this matchup is the fun one here that we're going to get on Monday nights. It is Washington and Texas. I, I think this is like fun, fun though. Like, you know what, what these games remind me of? They remind, and I think I've already told you this before, but it's worth rehashing. It reminds me of the meme of the two guys on the train and one guy's looking out into like the, it's like all sunshine and rainbows and he loves it. And then the other side is like looking into like doom and gloom. And I'm talking about from an offensive standpoint. Like, this game has fireworks here. Texas and Washington, you've got two high-flying offenses. You've got the number one passing team in the country in Washington. You've got a Texas team that has just put it on teams lately, including in the Big 12 championship and in their, their final game of the season against Texas Tech. And Quinn Ewers is a guy who we think is coming back to college. But if he plays really well in these this last game, maybe even two games for himself here, he can really maybe elevate himself into a first-round prospect and maybe ends up going to the NFL instead. Um, but it, it's a very fascinating game because you've got two of these high-flying offenses and these kind of meh defenses on the other side. And it's going to come down to, all right, who's going to have the ball last maybe? And who's going to be able to get that one timely stop in this game? Because we haven't seen these teams provide a ton of resistance defensively, especially over the last couple of, well, Texas has given resistance defensively as of late, but you could also point to their competition and be like, uh, no, none of that's all too special either. Yeah. The big 12 stunk like Oklahoma state representing the big 12, with Texas in the conference title game, Oklahoma State was terrible. They got bombed in that game. And I just feel like Texas is winning with offense, not with defense. I don't think either of these teams can guard the other. Yeah. that that That's ultimately what it comes down to. And, and, you- and just by the way, like Ewers, I think, is going to end up going to the NFL. And he's basically been the country's best fourth quarter quarterback this year. Like, 83% of his passes being completed in the fourth quarter. I think 39 of 47, like almost 600 yards, five touchdowns. He hasn't thrown a pick. He's been awesome in crunch time. Yeah, and you look at he hasn't really had to flex it as of late. I mean, that TCU game from mid-November, it looks close. It really wasn't. Texas just kind of let go of the rope in that game, and it ends up being a three-point game. The Kansas State game, that one goes to overtime. Um, but that was a Malik Murphy game, too. Um, it feels like this Texas team hasn't faced a ton of tests this year. And, like, I'm looking at Washington. Their defense isn't great, but it's still going to go down as probably one of the better ones that Texas has faced this year just because there has been no defense played in the Big 12 this year. And on the contrary, you look at 
the Pac-12, I know the joke is always, oh, there's no defense playing the Pac-12. There's been plenty of defense playing the Pac-12 this year. There's been some really good defense playing the Pac-12 this year. They've got six of the top 35 defenses in the country. So I look at this matchup here, though, and I see the number one passing attack with three NFL wide receivers on one side, that being Washington, going up against the 93rd passing defense on the other side in Texas. And I think that just might be too much to handle. I think Washington's going to score at will, and I think Washington can get enough stops on the other side. Yeah, I th- I don't know if Washington's going to get enough stops. Here's the – like, Texas, I think, has really found a groove. They have one of the best offensive minds in Steve Sarkeesian, especially opening games. Like, if you listen to other coaches talk, everybody raves about – how good his opening scripts are. He'll show you things you haven't seen formation-wise. He'll keep you off balance in terms of like where plays are coming from. They'll run plays that they run all season. They'll just do them from strange, different looks. And coaches just like rave about his ability to do that. So if Washington can survive the first 15 to 20 plays that Texas has for him, that's where things get interesting. If you can't, then Texas can adjust to whatever you want to do, and you're in big trouble because they just have playmakers everywhere on the field, tight end, both wide receivers. Uh, obviously, Quinn Ewers at quarterback. The running game's excellent. The offensive line has been really good. Like The problem for Texas is just straight up the defensive side of the football. Can they get pressure on Penix? But like newsflash, nobody can. Right. He's I been mean, sacked 11 times right. all season. And for the number one passing offense in the entire country to have only been sacked 11 times when you're doing it with volume, that's super impressive. And that's why that group for Washington, that offensive line, won the best offensive line in the entire country. And that's why I, I just... Listen, I, I liken it, and I know it, it seems lazy because he's the left-handed quarterback, but it is a very Tua-esque situation because these guys aren't going to run, and if you do get pressure on them, they're going down, and they're going down quite easily. But it's just been difficult getting that pressure because Penix gets the ball out quickly, and rightfully so because he's got receivers that create early separation in their routes. I mean, he's got three NFL guys, right? That That's like... He's got we're the best ta- receiving core in the country. We're talking about Ohio State level stuff when you've got like what they had with Olave and Garrett Wilson and then um Jackson Smith and Jigba there too. Like it's that type of that yeah. type of talent level that we're talking about. Maybe not quite as good as the one two there, but it's like on that level of you've got two first round guys in your receiving room right now. And you've got a guy in Roma Dunze who's been talked about on the level of Marvin Harrison Jr. Yes. Jalen Polk's really good. Jalen McMillan, you probably haven't heard the name if you're just parachuting into college football. He got hurt against Michigan State early in the year and then just it was a process getting back, but he went off in the Pac-12 title game, nine catches, 131 yards against Oregon's defense that's miles better than Texas. Like, Tyler, the only team that's been able to really hit Penix at all is Oregon. Yeah. And no disrespect to Texas, your edge guys ain't (laughs) Oregon. Like, it's not even close. Right. And, And that, to me, like, we always flash back to that first Oregon game between Washington and Oregon and talked about how Penix took a hit on that penultimate drive for Washington. And he ends, he ends up going out there and leading a drive that ends up winning the game for them on that last 
drive there, but he hadn't looked the same since. And I wonder now with about a month off of football, if he's just going to look fresh and those ribs, like you could tell it was hurting him against Arizona State the week after. It was still hurting him a couple weeks after that. We didn't see the same Michael Penix. It was still a very good quarterback, but it wasn't that top tier. He was the Heisman favorite at that point. He wasn't playing at that level anymore. And I think a lot of it had to do with the injury that he had to face. But now I wonder with a month off, can he get back to that form against this Texas team? That's another thing I don't understand. Can you explain this to me? Four and a half is our spread in this game. Yeah, I I mean, I bet it at Texas four. So, like, I just think Texas, I don't know how much they can stop Washington, but I don't think Washington can stop Texas ever. Like, I think Texas might score every time they touch the ball. 62 and a half is your number on the total. This is an absolute light show. I think you look at the Quinn Ewers numbers late in the season in the fourth quarter, take away the period of time where he was working through an injury and then coming back from injury, throw out the games where Texas started Malik Murphy. We'll talk about him maybe a little bit later, but like, (laughs) I I just, I go back to that Bama game and the throws that Quinn Ewers has made a lot throughout this season, the deep ball, it's the best I've seen, even with Penix. The, the deep ball, the worthy in Tuscaloosa is probably the best throw I saw all year from any quarterback. And I feel like Quinn Ewers is a guy who, if he had stayed healthy, and maybe if they just finish against Oklahoma, we would have been talking about him as a Heisman finalist in New York. He was awesome. And his fourth quarter numbers are awesome. And at Penix's too. Like, this is everything you really want to see in a college football semifinal is two elite quarterbacks duking it out. And if by some act of unfortunate God, Quinn Ewers gets hurt, oh we get Arch Manning. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I've seen like all the reports. He's taking all the backup snaps right now. And that's, of course, because Malik Murphy has decided to transfer to Duke. Um, it's interesting. It's it's one of those little wrinkles that could be like a write your story moment if the situation uh, arises for Arch Manning. But we'll get into some of these quarterback prospects and some other NFL prospects that we're going to see in the playoff in the NFL draft. I think Bears fans certainly are interested in what they could be watching here. We'll do all that when we return here. Tyler Rocky, Shay Norling. This is Chicago's College Tailgate on ESPN 1000. Chicago's College Tailgate returns in a flash on ESPN Chicago. Chicago's football game day starts with Chicago's College Tailgate. From red shirts to mascots to your school's alma mater, Chicago's College Tailgate has it all. Now back to the show with Shay and Tyler on ESPN Chicago. We'll get back to some of the games coming up at 10 o'clock. Also, Shay has a, a suggestion on how to fix bowl season as well. It's coming up. In the 10 o'clock hour, but let's get into some NFL draft stuff here, Shay, because there is plenty of intrigue. It's a pretty fun class when you break it all down. You've got stars at premier positions, whether it's quarterback, receiver, offensive tackle, edge rusher. Like, if you're hurting at a big-time position, this is a pretty good draft to be picking high. 
And the Bears have a chance not to just have number one, but also potentially another top 10 pick. And this is a pretty good draft that could help you really flip a switch quickly, especially if you've got two in the top 10. Um, yep. But let's get into some of the quarterback prospects. Obviously, the headliners, Caleb Williams, Drake May. We've seen the surge after the Heisman season from Jaden Daniels and the Heisman campaign of Bo Nix. Michael Penix has been high on some people's boards. And then you get into some of the will-they-won't-they prospects in terms of actually enter the NFL draft. J.J. McCarthy, Quinn Ewers, Shador Sanders, like those are some of the other names to keep an eye on there as to whether or not they'll enter the draft. I don't think we'll see Shadur Sanders. J.J. McCarthy, I would lean probably, but that may be a, more of a Michigan situation too. Like J.J. may be faced with, I either have to transfer or go to the NFL draft. Um, and then Quinn Ewers, a lot of it could hinge on what his performance looks like on Monday and potentially the Monday after that as well. Yeah, I think it's like... Let me start with this because you laid them all out. And obviously, Caleb Williams is the headline. He's the guy everybody's talking about as number one overall. We got a text from our regular producer, Justin Pottinger, yesterday. (laughs) It was a video of USC scoring a touchdown in their bowl game and then celebrating by shouting, we a team now, as though they weren't when they had Caleb Williams. So I ask you, Tyler, is Caleb Williams Bo Callahan from the movie Draft Day? (laughs) So it's funny you bring Nobody that up. Nobody wants because, to go to his birthday party. Right. First of all, wasn't that a defensive play too? That, that those people were celebrating. It was. Yeah, I think it, it was, was a defensive like, play. Was just going nuts. Yeah, I, I think Justin Pottinger may be the one running that Justin Fields fan club Twitter account uh, that that you see stuff from all the time. Um, but I did because there was the quote from Miller Moss about oh after the game. I mean he was fantastic in that game. Threw for six touchdowns. Um, and the, there was the quote from him post game about there's no ego on this team. We're playing together as a team, all that stuff. So I decided to reach out to one of my buddies who covers USC. And I said, Hey, is this about Caleb? Like, is he not well liked in the locker room? And he's like, no, couldn't be further from the truth. If I had to guess that quote's actually about Malachi Nelson, who is their number one QB prospect who decided to transfer out of the program. And that Miller Moss and Caleb Williams are really tight and really good friends. And he thinks that Miller Moss would never say that about Caleb. He thinks that was directed more towards Malachi Nelson. So for those people who are seeing that quote and saying, oh, Caleb isn't liked, I don't think that quote was about Caleb Williams. Did you read the article, too, in The Athletic? About Lincoln Riley. uh, I want to say two weeks ago. Yeah, and it was what went wrong at USC, and it was like disturbing things about Lincoln Riley. And it was basically opposing Pac-12 coaches just shredding the defense. And it was they were going off on Alex Grinch, Lincoln Riley's loyalty to him. But it was like the motif basically was everybody on that defense was there to put stuff on tape and to get stats for their NFL prospects. That was it. Nobody was playing team football. It was a bunch of mercenaries going to do their own thing. So... The point is, just like be very careful when you start looking at USC and going because these things happened or because Caleb looked like this, like that we can't draft him or he's not good. I think a lot of what went wrong at USC, we're going to start finding out, was Lincoln Riley did a horrible job in 2023 and really has to fix it in 2024. I I think you're right. And listen, this offense – 
was good this year. And like, that's the thing is, sure, Caleb wasn't the Heisman this year, right? It, 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 he still put together a damn good season. Uh, threw for over 3,600 yards, a 30 to 5 touchdown to interception ratio. Like, he was still getting results offensively. He put up 42 plus points eight times this year. Like, they were yeah, finding awesome. ways to score. He just wasn't, he didn't have the team around him. And, and you can say, oh, like, it's the same excuse. He'll get the same excuse when uh, when he goes pro is that, oh, you need to build the team. I think he's more of a guy who's uplifting others, and we're seeing other guys maybe being put into NFL draft conversations because of Caleb Williams. Who knows? Like, I mean, Jordan. And he can't play defense. Right. So. Like, he's not going to be your edge rusher. Like, when he had Jordan Addison, who ends up being a first-round pick, well, then he's the Heisman. And Jordan Addison is this all-American type of wide receiver. Like, it works together here. And I, I listen, I don't think he needs all Americans littered around him, but he can't have like these, uh, these guys who just want to come in, put a little tape out there effectively being like one and done type of guys. It, it, it was technically like Kentucky basketball out there. One and done guys who just want to look good for the league and then go get drafted. Yeah. And then it, like the comp with the, Drake May stuff because that's where everybody likes to go as well. Is like should Drake? I saw. I think it was Nate Tice put mm-hmm. out Drake May is the number one overall pick. And you're out of your mind. Not that Drake May is a bad player, but he's Justin Herbert in a draft where there's Patrick Mahomes. And if you have the opportunity, like as an NFL GM, to go, I can take Justin Herbert or I can take Patrick Mahomes. Which one are you going to take? You know what right. I mean? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Really good players, both great, but I would take Mahomes. Right, and, and I'm with you there. I, I still have Caleb as my top quarterback that I would look at here. But getting into some of these other guys here, and it's a shame we're not going to see any of these guys really in the playoff. But Drake May, he's obviously a, a trendy name. Some people, he feels like that. It's kind of like the C.J. Stroud buzz that we got last year of, oh, maybe he'll actually go number one. And I'm sure we're going to get into a wave of the draft cycle where you're going to see Drake May as a, a not consensus, but you'll see a few people, notable people, too, in draft circles put him as their number one prospect. But then it's ultimately when we do get to April, it'll revert back to Caleb Williams when it's all said and done. Jaden Daniels, another interesting one because he's just flown up rankings. He was a guy who probably wasn't on draft radars or maybe was like a fifth or sixth round pick. And all of a sudden, he may find himself going in the top ten. He may find himself going in the top five with the way that his stock has risen. It sounds like it. Like he, I feel like he's at this point the fifth pick in the draft. But that's another thing where I would be very careful. Like The Heisman steam has shot Jalen Daniels. Jaden Daniels from being a second round pick to a potential top five pick. And I've seen a lot of people in Chicago bring him up. I've started hearing his name more. What I find so fascinating is people want to go, well, Caleb Williams versus good teams. The stats aren't very good. And then they go and pimp Jaden Daniels stats. Mm -hmm. But the context behind those numbers, like this is where you have to actually watch the games because the context behind the Jaden Daniels numbers are a quarter of his touchdowns came against Grambling and Georgia State. And Brian Kelly, this is the right thing to do as a coach, was leaving him in in the fourth quarter of blowouts so that he could pat, stat pad and win a Heisman. Yeah. Just be very careful when you look at the numbers. you got to watch what's going on. He's a fabulous player. 
I don't think he's the fifth pick in the draft, but it, it might end up that way. But I, I do think he's one of those guys, and we, we kind of live in this world now where playing a lot of football matters. And this guy's like, we talk about that a lot with Bo Nix. This guy's played a lot of football. He started since his freshman year and he's been in college five years, got injured his sophomore season, but he's seen a lot of things. And that's ultimately why I think we've seen the development of him as a passer. Like he threw the ball last year, 388 times had 17 touchdowns. He threw the ball 60 times less this year. And more than doubled his touchdown output. He's a true dual threat guy. Like, I I think Jaden Daniels is a very intriguing draft prospect. And if this were, like, let's say the Bears didn't have the number one overall pick. I think you're getting into more of a, a legitimate conversation of whether or not you're actually taking a quarterback in the first round. But I think with if you were had to decide between Jaden Daniels and Justin Fields, it's very fascinating and very interesting. I'd probably stick with Justin Fields in that instance, but you could talk me into reset the rookie clock and, and let's just roll with a Jaden Daniels at eight or six or ten or wherever you're drafting. Well, that's where like we want to talk about other prospects too. Marvin Harrison Jr. Mm-hmm. sticks out. Malik Neighbors sticks out. Roma Dunze, like. I think if you end up not having the top pick in the draft, by some chance the Panthers win this weekend, like I think you could secure it this weekend. Yeah. And that makes the decision for you. And not having the top pick makes the decision for you because, frankly, like as good as these quarterbacks are, I'm not as interested in spending a top five pick on somebody like Jaden Daniels or Michael Penix or Bo Nix as I would be the number one pick on Caleb Williams. I would look more in, the, in line with, Who's the best wide receiver available? Yeah. Can I grab uh, the uh, edge rusher from UCLA? Can I get Dallas Turner? Can Like, there are other players, Olufashanu, if you want to go left tackle out of Penn State. There are other players that interest me more. I look at the receivers. Let's get into the receivers because uh, the quarterbacks, you're, you're going to hear all about that over the next couple of months. I think the receiver conversation is really fascinating because you've got Marvin Harrison Jr., who is by far and away your number one on, I mean, you've got some mock drafts that even have him going first overall. Then you get into some of these other names. You see a, a consistent flip back and forth between Roma Dunze and Malik Neighbors as the second and third receivers in this class. And then you get a little further down the board, you find a guy like Keon Coleman from Florida State. Like, there's a lot of intriguing names, and it's a fantastic draft if you want a receiver. And I just look at Adunze, like, I, I don't know where you sit on the Adunze versus Malik Neighbors. I, I lean Adunze right now. I could I, I wouldn't be upset if I was a Bears fan and either one of them ends up on my team, but they're both big physical guys. Uh tell, neighbor's a little smaller, but he he's got some speed, man. Tell me if this is stupid. I lean neighbors because of the pedigree of LSU receivers. And that's NFL fine. Players. I get that. Like, like you're not gonna Odell, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. Like yeah. this it's just it's a factory the way Ohio State's a factory. And I kind of lean neighbors for that reason. It might be dumb, but I do. And that's fine. Like, I, I totally get that argument there. Um, with neighbors, though, I, like, I will say, with Malik Neighbors, a lot of his numbers also come in those inflated moments that Jaden Daniels was out there against some of these garbage teams. Not to take away from what he did, but it's just something that when I'm looking at the numbers there, I am keeping all of that in context, that he was doing some of that against the Georgia states of the world and not necessarily against the Alabamas of the world. 
I also remember we were at uh, a bar on the north side for the Florida State LSU game that opened the season. Mm -hmm. And Malik Neighbors was horrible in that game. He was dropping pass everywhere. I think he he muffed two punts. Mm -hmm. It was like he was awful. And then he made this run the rest of the season. Like Jamar Chase had some issues with drops too when he was at LSU. Remember that yeah. was one Dude, of the remember most, when he was the most hilarious at- draft narrative that I can ever remember was that he was not going to succeed in the NFL because of the fact that the ball didn't have the white stripe on it anymore. And he yes. needed the white stripe and- to catch the football. And when he was at Bengals training camp, there was the talk like and preseason the first three weeks, he was dropping pass after pass. Because of the white hearing stripes. the same thing. He Jamar like Chase is not used it. to not having the stripe. Yeah. It was so funny. Um but yeah, no, so that that obviously is a narrative that has quickly died, and Jamar Chase is one of the three best receivers in all of football. But I do want to ask you this, okay? Marvin Harrison Jr., I, both you and I have watched him a ton this year. He is great, and everyone only talks about him at the receiver position. If his name was Marvin Smith, how close would we be talking about Marvin Harrison Jr. versus the Roma Dunze Malik neighbors? Because I think we would be talking about it a little more closely. Yeah, I think the uh, being a legacy player definitely helps his like, I think about Marvin Harrison Jr. this year, and I wonder if he really should have been a Heisman finalist when you compare what he did to what Malik Neighbors and Roma Dunze did. And there was talk late in the season when Roma Dunze was this go-to automatic guy, especially in critical downs for Washington, that people started talking about Roma Dunze might be better than Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah. But I think you're right, because of the last name and the junior tag, People are hesitant to have that conversation. Yeah, like if, if you chop if you chop the the O N on his last name, if he's just Marvin Harris, I think we're talking about a a little bit of a closer receiver battle. But I don't think you can go wrong with any of the three. And you're going to see one to of that them- point too. Like if Arch Manning were Arch Johnson, would he have the generational tag on him? It's it's a fair question. It is, and it's like. You see it all the time with some of these legacy guys, and they and listen. I'm not taking anything away from Marvin Harrison Jr. He is the top receiver in this class. I just think you can't go like the people who say you have to take Marvin Harrison Jr. Or you're not going to get a receiver. You could not be further from being incorrect because there are so many other talented receivers in this class as well. So yeah, I, I'm with you. All right, when we come back, we've got someone who wants to be very mean to Michigan. Shay will fill us in when we come back here. This is Chicago's College Tailgate on ESPN 1000. Now back to the show. Chicago's College Tailgate has it all with Shay and Tyler on ESPN Chicago. Nine fifty-two, Chicago's College Tailgate. Shane Orling and Tyler Rocky sitting in with you talking college football tyler i am in the wonderful city of nashville tennessee beautiful sec city we are ringing in the new year with my wife's maid of honor whose house we are staying in. and like me my wife's maid of honor is a michigan state spartan all right 
So last night we were talking, and obviously the semifinals on Monday night, a big deal for us Spartans because we would all like to see Alabama kick Michigan's ass. Nothing wrong with it. It's one of those rivalries for me where you hate the rival almost more than you love your own team. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yes, so we are all in on Alabama. And then her name's Emily, my wife's maid of honor. We were talking, and she goes, what if I said mean things about Michigan? And I thought it sounded hysterical. Like the idea that this, because I'm with another Michigan State grad, and she wants to just rip Michigan apart. So I thought, let's give this a shot. This might be high risk. I don't know. So should I hover the dump button here? Is that what I'm doing? Yeah, I think think finger on the dump button is important in this spot. Uh, But I'm going to pass the mic off to my wife's maid of honor, Emily, who would like to say mean things about Michigan. Can I preface this with something, too? There is nobody that craps on the University of Michigan or Jim Harbaugh more than the female uh, Michigan State fans. Nobody that that just absolutely just there's a a special kind of hatred for Jim Harbaugh and the University of Michigan from the women of Michigan State. They hate him more than anybody else in the world. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's try this. Five mean things about Michigan. If we have time for all five, we're going to get as many of these in as we can. Emily, the floor is yours. Hello. Hello, Emily. Uh, So. Last night, I was a little bit more uh, free-spirited than I am now. Inebriated. Um, But one thing I do know, if I know anything, is that Michigan is the most redneck fan base I've ever come across. And I live in the South. (laughs) And everyone's like, oh, you're from Michigan. Surely you are going to support the other team if they're going against anyone else. No, I'd rather root for anyone else than Michigan. What do you think of Jim Harbaugh? I think he's disgusting. Okay, the first time I saw him pick his nose on live television, that was all I needed to know. Because what else is a man going to do on live television if he's picking his nose? He'll do literally anything. Literally anything. Like what? What's anything? Okay, can we talk about the vacuum guy? I'm ready to talk with a vacuum guy because I don't think he's getting enough airtime and no one's talking about it enough. First of all, you had to have a coach that's also selling vacuums. Who is buying vacuums like this? There's vacuum salespeople still in the world. It is 2023. It's almost 2024. And people are out here making a living selling vacuums. Listen, they weren't Get a Roomba. No, they weren't. He had to pay for tickets to all the games. <laughs> he had to. And then he thought, what is the best disguise that I can come up with? Sunglasses and a baseball hat. That's literally any predator off the street. Sunglasses and a baseball hat. I love that you what? referred to him as the vacuum guy, too. Like that, that is a hidden great. detail of, of the entire Connor Stallion saga. And do you know that, like, Stallions is, like, a popular, like, southern last name? That's, like, Smith down here in the south. He's a good southern boy. So that's, like, redneck to its core. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. What do, you, what do you think about Michigan and Alabama? 
Um, you know, Alabama's like my neighbor, right? But they're less inbred than University of Michigan fans. Oh, by wow. far. You can't say that. You can. Because listen, anyone down here, they already know that like, they hate the Wolverines too. They don't even know them like that. You see a Wolverine walking down Walmart and moms are pulling their children aside <laughs> out of the way. All right. Thank you, Emily. All right. You can I get a roll tied, Emily? Um, yes. Roll tide for us. I feel like his team needs to work on his fashion because it's just not it. Like the khakis, and it's the same thing. He needs a stylist. He needs a stylist. He needs some more razzle dazzle because you got to take away from the horrible personality, the disgusting habits, and just that he sucks. He just sucks. Can I get a roll tide before we yeah. you leave? Roll tide, baby. All there right. <laughs> that was all right. Great. Touch them all, Emily. Well done. <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> Oh, that was fantastic. All right. Yeah, I told you, like, the, the Spartan woman, nobody hates Michigan more than the Spartan women. So that <laughs> more was fantastic. More than Alabama. What a, what a line. <laughs> I, don't know if she, I don't know if we can say that, but what a line. <laughs> All right. When we come back, we will get back into that Alabama and Michigan game uh, and get you uh, just where we're feeling, get you some picks as well for all that, and also get into the Texas-Washington game. And you still want to fix the bowl season. We'll do all that when we come back in two minutes here on ESPN 1000. Chicago's college tailgate returns in a flash on ESPN Chicago.